Well, we are uh, in the middle of a three-week series, Christianity 101. And uh, if you weren't here last week, the reason we're doing this is uh, I figured the kids are going back to school. We might as well go back also. And we last week talked about Jesus. And basically what we're doing is the basics, the very basics, the fundamental uh, thoughts and beliefs of Christianity. We talked about Jesus last week. And yeah, one week on Jesus isn't enough, obviously. You could go for an entire decade talking about the different aspects of Jesus and the different things that we, need, we can glean from his life and the different things we can learn from his words and his wisdom. So sure, one Sunday isn't enough, but as I said, we are doing a very high flyby uh, of things. And I've encouraged you to send me questions about uh, each of these different topics uh, over email. And I, re- I received a few more um, about the Bible and, and one that I, that I did get, uh, that wasn't related to anything, um, which I figured I'd get a couple of those. Uh, it, it's how do I see Jesus in the cross? And the question that was asked, isn't like, you know, there wasn't a lot of theology behind it. It was an actual question. How do I see Jesus in the cross? And I'm going to take just a second. Cause I don't, I don't know if he's in here that asked the question right now and show you. We've talked about this before. I'm going to show you right now. You're going to have three minutes to look, and then you're done. Okay? Can we make that deal? If I show you Jesus, if I show you the face of Christ, can you then concentrate on me? Okay. In the top panel over here on the big cross, the very top panel, over in the right-hand corner, it's a very big face of Jesus like this. You have three minutes. John, do we have any music for that? I'm just kidding, John. Excellent. Top panel, right side. And we're back. Okay. How many of you saw Jesus? Okay, the rest of you don't have a big enough faith. Just kidding. Um, that, that actually is, uh, that was not planned to be in there. I've told the story, uh, quite a few times in here, but the face was not planned to be in there. And actually, uh, now that I say it, it's harder to see from this side, um, from closer up this side. It's easier to see over here. Uh, the artist that did this, um, Marianne Hollingshead did not plan on putting the face of Christ in there, uh, but God did. And that's kind of the cool thing that Jesus has been watching us, uh, since he's been up there. Um, which is kind of nerve-wracking, really, sometimes, <laughs> knowing that he's looking over my shoulder. Uh, but there you go. Uh, any other questions like that, you can send me by email, and I might ignore or I might answer. Uh, some of the other questions that I got that I wanted to briefly answer, what is the first Bible chapter I should read, uh, was a question. What's the very first chapter of the Bible I should read? You'll get different answers from every person you ask. Uh, a lot of people will say John. Uh, John's a little easier to understand. As I said last week, John says that he wrote his gospel so that we would believe, so that you would see and believe. So maybe John is a good one for you to start with. If you're more analytical thinking and you like uh, a little more boring writing, uh, quite frankly, you can read Matthew. Um, uh, You can jump out, start in the New Testament right out of the gate with Matthew. Uh, But it just depends. Let God lead you where he should lead. If you want uh, an expert's opinion, ask God and let the Spirit lead you, because I'm no expert. Um, And that leads me to my next question. Uh, I am not an expert on the Bible. Um, 
I am a pastor. I am a guy that follows God, that serves God. Everything I do is trying to serve him more and more in my life. Uh, I know the Bible, uh, that Pat Green song. She knows the Bible like the back of her hand. Um, I know the Bible pretty well. And as I've said very often in here, I could not tell you book and verse uh, of certain stories. I know the stories. I know the people. I know the places. But I don't know necessarily where they are. I can narrow it down. I'm sure I can go Old Testament, New Testament. I can tell you probably if it's written by Paul, which is, you know, the majority of the New Testament. So that's kind of easy. Paul wrote that, didn't he? Uh, I can narrow it down to a gospel, but I can't tell you exactly where it came from. There are people that can, and they will astound you with their knowledge. My wife is one of those people. Uh, She will say, you know, where's that verse? I'm like, I don't know, honey. And then she goes, oh, yes, it's Matthew 7.14. That's, I was just about to say that, um, dear. Uh, and that's okay. Um, some people like the Lord that over you, like they know the Bible better than you. Take it from, from me. That doesn't necessarily mean that's true. Uh, so the Bible is something that, again, you could take more than one Sunday on. I could go through the historical side of the Bible and talk about the different authors and talk about the controversies of, did Paul really write all that Paul is said to have written? Uh, or did some of his disciples write some of it? Uh, was, uh, was Revelation, who was that written by? Was it written by John, the same guy that wrote the Gospels, or somebody else? Another guy named John. Uh, what about the, the letters, uh, different letters? Who wrote those? Because they were written at different times. There's all kinds of theories out there. But you can take those or leave those for whatever that's worth. Uh, what I want to concentrate on mainly is... What I feel is most important about the Bible, the fact that it's the Word of God, that is the most important thing that you can say about the Bible. You can take any translation you want, the NLT, the NIV, the NRSV, the KJV, the, uh, you know, you can throw out all the alphabetic soup of the translations you want, uh, the MCV, Michael Crocker version, um, and you can throw those all into a basket and know that the most important thing about that is that they are the word of God, plain and simple. And we'll talk that, talk about that in just a little bit. What I did want to do, cause I told you I would last week is some of the, uh, the historical stuff, a very brief snippet of it. How do you know that the Bible is accurate? How do you know that what was written so long ago has actually been faithfully translated? Well, we have copies. If you look at, if you balance it with other historical documents that are seen as worthy and seen as true and seen as accurate, uh, the Bible blows them away, blows them away in the amount of information we have. If you look at uh, Herodotus, uh, some of his writings, there is 1,300 years between the writing and the copy of the writing, and there's only eight copies around that survive today. Caesar's Gaelic War, uh, there was a 950-year span between the copying of it and the writing of it. And there's nine to 10 copies today. Uh, And then the new Testament, there's a few others in there, but they bore me. The new Testament is 300 year time span between the copies that we have and when it was written. And there are 5,000 plus Greek copies that are known, uh, 10,000 Latin and 9,300 others blows anything else out of the water. Nothing else comes close to the amount of information we have looking at the accuracy of the translations of the text. So that is one thing. There are 66 books in the Bible. 
This stuff's kind of boring me, so I'll get through it quickly. 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. If you're Catholic, you might have 15 more in the Old Testament, um, called the Apocryphal books. And the Apocryphal and Deuterocanonical. Say that, Deuterocanonical. Exactly. It took me hours to practice that word. Um, They have 15 others that are not in the Protestant Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament that we have is the same, contains the same books the Jewish Bible has, the Jewish Torah. They're in a little different order, but it's the same ones. The New Testament, uh, basically you can break it down. Uh, the, the Old Testament leading up to Christ, talking about him. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. New Testament, here we go. Uh, Christ on. Talking about his story uh, and what we do with it, basically, is the New Testament. Uh, there are at least 40 authors. There were kings, scholars, philosophers, fishers, poets, statesmen, historians, and doctors. There are different types of literature, history, poetry, prophecy, apocalyptic, and letters. It is seen as one of the greatest documents of all time. It is studied for its literature purposes alone. People study this not believing that it's the word of God, but they study it for its literature, uh, the, the things it has to offer on that side. It is by far, it's like the white Christmas of, uh, of books. You know, white Christmas is the most recorded and most sold album of all time. Uh, Bing Crosby, I'm dreaming of a... The Bible is that. Uh, no other book comes close to selling as many copies. Every year, it is not on the top sellers list because it's one of those things. You just take it out of the mix because you know it's going to be the top seller every year. Billions. Uh, I think it's like a billion-dollar industry, the Bible industry now, uh, is amazing. How many copies are sold? How many of you have a copy of the Bible in your house, at least one? How many of you have more than one copy of the Bible in your house? How many of you have five copies? Yeah, how many of you have over five? Okay, still quite a few hands up. Uh, I think it was 24% of American households have five uh, copies of the Bible in their house. That's not saying they're reading them, uh, but they have them. And the vast, vast, vast majority of people, of families in America, have at least one copy of the Bible in their house. It's astounding, really, how many Bibles are out there. When Jenna and I first got married, we had Christmas with my uh, dad's family. And my dad's family, uh, my dad's family and my mom's family are like night and day. They're totally different. It's like Green Acres. It's the farmer and, you know, the New York City people. My mom came from high society. My grandmother owned an antique store. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and my grandfather's a doctor. My dad came from farmers. Uh, they didn't have plumbing in their house till he was a junior in high school. They didn't have a telephone till the next year. He had a great high school year there. Uh, telephone the next year. Um, they worked, all of them, on a dairy farm or picking cotton or something like that. Total night and day. My dad was the first one in his family to go to college uh, to do anything really outside of farming. And it somewhat continues to be that way for his family. So his family is a bunch of Southern Baptists, good old Southern Baptists. I freak him out when I go over there. But uh, they, uh, they gave us, Jenna and I, our first Christmas, a bunch of Bibles um, for Christmas. And it really kind of cracked uh, us up. We were like, seriously? <laughs> I guess they didn't know what to give us. And Jenna coming into the family kind of freaked them out because my mom always tells people ahead of time before they meet my wife that, She's a little different than our sarcastic, dark, mean family. She's nice and gentle and humble and all these things. And so they gave us a bunch of Bibles. And, you know, we all have, and we have those sitting in a shelf somewhere now. 
and I've gone out and bought more because, you know, sometimes they gave us King James Bibles, and I don't understand that, really. I can't read the King James Bible and get anything out of it. Some of you can, and that's great. If that's the way God read it, wrote it, um, as some people would say, he wrote it just like this, so why can't we read it like this? All of us have those types of Bibles laying around our house. You know, we have those Bibles that we stuff underneath and we find when we're moving. And we're like, oh, look at this. Here's a Bible. Oh, my gosh. I, I remember this. Or, or maybe you go, Reed Mitnitsky goes, every time he goes to a hotel, first thing he does, opens the door, drawer, sees there is Bible in there. He never reads it, never takes it out, never does anything with it. He just wants to make sure that there's a Bible. You know, right next to the yellow pages, generally, the Gideons have been there and there's a Bible. The Bible's everywhere. Most of us have read some of it. Most of us have heard some of it. If you've been coming here at all, you know that you've heard some of it. I've encouraged you from time to time, um, and I need to do it every Sunday, to bring your Bible with you. Uh, To bring it with you and to have it in your lap. When I call out a verse, I want you to turn to it and to touch it and to feel it. Because the Bible is an amazing thing. The Bible really is what guides your life and your spirit with God. There's three ways that God can speak to you in my eyes. God can speak to you through uh, the spirit, through whispers into your heart and to your soul. He can speak to you through, uh, through a person, you know, through the spirit, going through a person, different ways. I think God can speak to you too through creation. Just looking at the beauty. Jenna and I just got back from a, a trip. Uh, kind of a solitude trip for us and uh, we were in the mountains and I'm well wishing that the temperature would be the same here as it was there but the creation of God is just amazing and God can really speak to you through that and I think the primary way that God speaks to people is through the text is through the Bible by opening up the Bible by reading his words and by seeing what he says Here's the cool thing about it. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible all the way through. I've read it. A, I've never gone straight Genesis one to Revelation. Blah. I've read all of the Bible a few times, but I jump around and I skip around. I don't know if you've ever done that. But here's the question I ask you: Is it ever the same? Have you have you ever read the Bible and it's the same to you? I'm a huge fan of Horatio Hornblower. Does anybody know who Horatio Hornblower is? Anyone? A couple of older people? Good. And that makes me feel good. Um, Horatio Hornblower is a, is a book, a series of books. He was an English sailor in the like 14, 15, 1600s. I can't remember the time. Um, during the Spanish and English wars and one of the swashbuckling things. And there's 13 books and I've read each of them a few times. And here's the thing. They're always the same. I always know what's coming. I always know what's going to happen to old Horatio. The predicaments he gets in when he's in jail and in prison. I know how he's going to get out of it. You know, all these things. It's always the same. But every time I open up the Bible and I go to a story that I know, the story of the woman at the well, I know what's going to happen. I know what she's going to say to Jesus. I know what Jesus is going to say to her. I know the reaction that's going to occur and all the different things. But every time I read it, it's different. Every time I read the story of the woman at the well, something different comes to me. Something different pops out at me. The Bible is a living word. It's the living word of God. And, and what I mean by that is it, it is constantly changing. It is constantly moving. It's never stopping. You say, well, well, how can that be if it was written so many years ago? 
Because the Spirit of God dwells inside of these words. Now, I use the NLT when I preach on Sundays. The New Living Translation. Obviously, it needs to be rebound. I use the NLT. And it says something different than what you might be reading out there in the NIV. The words might be different, but the truth of God is the same. And every time I read it, it's different. I have three different versions of the Bible on my desk upstairs. This one, the NIV and the NRSV. And when I look through stuff and when I'm, and when I'm searching for something, I, I take all of them into account. There's three ways that you need to... I, I hate preaching by saying there's three things and you need to remember these three things, but here you go. There's three things uh, that you need to keep in mind when you're reading the Bible. The first thing is this. What does it say? When you're reading a scripture, when you're reading a passage, like say you're reading 2 Timothy 3, what does it say? What did the original author write? What did he mean? What was it written for that? When the original reader read it, when this letter was written to Timothy by Paul and Timothy gets the letter and he reads it, what did he see? What was it that was going on in his time and in his day that made this come to life for him? You need to put it into context. It's contextual reading of the Bible. If you look at some of Paul's sayings, Paul goes back and forth on a couple of issues. Paul says at one time, uh, women should never speak. Women be quiet in church. Did he really mean that? Because at other times he's saying hello to these women that are leaders of churches. Women that he put into positions of power to lead a church. Now different denominations go different ways on this. Obviously in the Methodist church, we agree that women can be leaders of churches. We have a couple down the hall. But Paul says at one point, this is okay. And then another point, he says to be quiet, sit down. Where's the difference come in? Is there something wrong with the Bible? Is there a, it's a contradiction there that catches some people. Well, you have to see it in context. In the contextual setting, when he was saying that women need to be quiet and sit down, it was because the women were not letting the men do anything. They were having too much power, too much control. They were running everything. And the men were being pushed aside and pressed down. And he's saying, wait a minute. We need to correct some things here. You be quiet for a little while. And let the men step up. See, there's, there's a contextual reference that you have to see there. Ray Vanderlyn does an incredible job of this of walking you through the Bible and showing you. He goes through the book of Revelation and he doesn't talk about end times. He talks about the churches, the seven churches that John writes to and what's going on in those times and what's important, you know, the the, uh, coming like a thief in the night, he says to the church at Sardis. That was important to them. It meant something to them. Because two times in the history of that city, they had been attacked at night and taken over at night. It meant something to them. It came alive to them. Those words hit home for them. So in the contextual reference, it means something. The second thing you have to do is what does it mean? What does does it mean to me? Why does this have anything to do with my life? 
Because honestly, one of the questions I, I got was, how can we live our lives based on the book that was written so many years ago? How can I live my life and say that I believe in Jesus Christ and follow his words and wisdom when, when all of this stuff was written 2,000, 3,000 years ago? What am I supposed to do with this? What do they know about today? Have you ever asked yourself that question? You're reading through the text and you're like, you know, what do these people know about the pressures of society today? What do these people know about my life? And what does this have to do with me? I've asked myself that. Sure. But here's the thing. Here's the beauty of the living word of God. As it changes with us, as it moves, God can reveal stuff to us through each of these stories, through each of his truths that are there in the text. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it really comes down to this. Verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. Hmm. My father-in-law is a doctor. And the first question you get when you come to him and say, I'm not feeling well, is this, have you been exercising? Always. Those of you that go to him know that, that that is always his first question. Oh, you know, Dr. Horn, I'm not feeling well. Well, have you been getting your exercise? What does that have to do with anything? The question I will ask people most often when they come to me and they're feeling something stirred in their spirit and they're feeling bad or something's going on is, have you been reading the scriptures? Have you been spending time with God? These inspired words, Paul says, by God are there for us to teach us and to guide us, to correct us and rebuke us. These words are there for us to live our lives by. So the question usually is, have you been spending time in the Word? How how many of you don't raise your hand, but just think about this. How many of you spend time every day reading the text? Spend a little time each day reading the text. How many of you spend time every day watching television? How much time is spent on each of those? When we got to our cabin this week, one of the things that I was told before we got there was there won't be a television. I'm a TV guy. I like my TV. And so I planned ahead. I brought a laptop and I brought the first season of Everybody Loves Raymond. Excellent. I'll let you borrow if you need it. It's very funny. And I was just talking about this this morning. I never took it out. It never came out. I was so worried about being away from TV. I was like, I'd have the shakes withdraw, you know, it was like going cold Turkey on TV for a whole week being there without my friend. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Back row left. There you go. Raise your hand. And And what came to me really is, you know, I didn't even think about it once I got there. 
sure, it was a little different looking out onto the Rocky Mountain National Park and being seeing elk right in your front yard and then being on Larkwood and looking out of the dirt in your backyard and knowing it's 110 degrees and you don't want to step outside because you'll have to take another shower even though you just took one. A little different in the scenario there. So you might as well stay inside anyway. But but being there, it, it was just amazing to sit and to read just... What I did is I, I would read a scripture. I wouldn't sit down and read for an hour. I wouldn't sit down and, and start at First Timothy and go till I got to Second Peter. I wouldn't do stuff like that. I would read a scripture, one verse, and then sit. Yeah, there's different ways to let the word speak to you. Sure, sometimes you go through and you plow through and you read and read and read and take it all in and maybe you write notes on the side or maybe you don't write anything. You're just reading to read. You have this deal with yourself. Every day I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to read two chapters every day. And I'm going to plow through it until I get to the end. And then I'm going to start again. There's people like that. Maybe you do that. That's a great way to go through the Bible. But there's sometimes that you just read something. Just a short, a short verse. And you think. And you pray. And you sit quietly. The Word will always speak to you. During deer season, one of the things I do when I'm in a blind is I take my iPod with me and I have the Bible on my iPod and I listen to God's voice and I look for my little friends. But I learned so much that way because for me, I'm so ADD that I can't sit down for long periods of time and read because my mind just goes there and there and there and there and there and there. I hear a noise, and I'm like, well, what is that noise? What's going on over there? Like, some people I see in Starbucks, they sit and they read. Oh, that would blow my head. I, my head, would, I think, would explode going in there to do this. I can't do that. That's not the type of person I am. And that's okay. I take it in small doses, and God moves me in big ways. There have been times when I've read Scripture, and it's meant nothing to me. When I've read something and I haven't been stirred. When I've read something and I didn't get goose pimples. When I've read something and I went, okay. That's okay. There have been times that I've read something and I didn't understand it. Heck, Peter in his, in his second letter says, Paul's writings are good, but sometimes they're hard to understand. Peter didn't get it all the time either. It's okay if there's moments like that when you take open the text and you read it and you're like, what? But read it. Stay in the Word. Ray Vanderland says that, uh, he says every day you read this text, you read this text, and it may mean nothing to you at that moment. But ten years from now, something may occur in your life and the Spirit floods you with that knowledge that you read ten years ago. But what would have happened if you didn't read that day? What would have happened if you didn't take time, 5, 10, 15 minutes, to read just a little bit of the Word? I guess the the thing that I'm most, that I want to stress most, is to read. It's just to read. These are the words of God written by man, inspired by God. 
there are some times where you will go through there and you can say there's contradictions in it. Some of them can be explained contextually. Some of them are a little harder to explain. Some of them you might have to ask God about someday. There are things in there that you might not always understand. There are things in here that you think might be contrary to the nature of God. If you're reading through the Old Testament, you might have some questions surface. There are times in there where you think it's horrible to read some of the things that go on. There are times in there where you think the passion is so great and wonderful. How can this be in the Bible? It's such a beautiful text. It's such an inspiring text. But you will never know it unless you read it. What are the basics of the Bible? Let God show you as you begin to explore them for yourself. Each Sunday, make an effort to bring that Bible. You all raised your hand. Every single one of you raised your hand when I said, who has a Bible at their house? Every single one of you did. So now when you come in through the door, Kevin Workman will be back there and checking your name off on the list. Bring the Bible with you. There's a man that sits up front at the 11 o'clock service. He brings it with him on his tablet PC. At first, I thought he was playing games. For a long time, I thought he was playing games while during the service. I was getting irritated with him. But then he brought it up to me and showed it to me one day. Really cool. He has like three translations at once. Bring the Bible with you. I can say verses. You can hear them. We can put them on the screen. But if you have them in your hand, that means so much more. Read the Bible.